what is good everybody man i hope everyone had a, had an awesome weekend man it was a this may have been one of the most final weekends of college football if you're just a, if you're just a college football fan all around the board from i mean from the fbs to the fcs level it didn't matter if like there were so many things to talk about at, at all levels man this this was a upset an upset filled week a struggle win week we found out a lot about just what teams are moving forward and man the biggest thing this weekend though man was just i i think a lot of the top teams they got a wake up call especially in the FCS and then man at the FBS level we already know what it was with the LSU upset Tennessee getting smacked around Man, it was uh, it, an amazing weekend, man. I, and I had a blast up in Nashville. It it was really my first time going to Nashville just to do something. I've driven through Nashville, kind of been there um, a few times. But, man, I had a blast up there. I wish the weather was a little bit better, man. It was – when I got there on Saturday morning, it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds. It felt like it was freezing up there, and it was raining. Luckily, we didn't have any rain at the game. And I, I think that kept some of the fans away. Nissan Stadium is beautiful. I had, I had an absolute blast. It was really cool to cover a game in an NFL stadium, regardless of what the attendance was, regardless of you know what happened. I know a lot of people were hoping for a more competitive ball game. Semo was so physical as an offense as a former offensive lineman. I left Saturday night's game just enamored to. Like, I just watch how physical they were. And I, I was texting some people during the game, and I was like, man, they are literally out here trying to hurt people with how physical they are. I mean, it doesn't matter if the play was 20 yards away from where you had offensive linemen absolutely trying to put Tennessee State players into the ground. It was it was very interesting to watch. Gino Hess, we had the, I had the interview up with him. Shout out to the SID over there, Simo, for allowing me to do that one-on-one with Gino Hess. He became the school's all-time leading rusher, over 3,000 career rushing yards. He already has the school record for career touchdowns on the ground. So, man, Gino Hess had a big night again, three rushing touchdowns. But it was a amazing, amazing time. Shout out to Tennessee State. And also, I, I, share, all my, I share all my big news with you guys. I talked to the Tennessee State SID, man. Shout out to my guy, Nick, one of the best in the business. He asked me if I would be cool week one next season coming up with Tennessee State to go cover the Notre Dame-Tennessee State game, work the sidelines, get y'all video, get pictures of the Tennessee of the Tennessee State-Notre Dame game next, week, uh, next year, week one in South Bend. So, uh, that is in the works of so next next year. Already got the first two Blue Bloods uh, FCS game days worked out. Week zero, of course, going to Jackson State, South Carolina State in the MEAC SWAC Challenge in Atlanta. Week one, I will probably, I will most likely, if everything does, if nothing falls through, be in South Bend, Indiana, covering um, Notre Dame, Tennessee State, man. So that'll be a huge matchup. It's the first time. Notre Dame has ever played in HBCU school. You got two Ohio State uh, legends and Marcus Freeman and Eddie George. One, you know, being a Heisman winner or, or you know, being one of the best running backs to ever come through the school in Eddie George, but be a huge uh, thing. Man. So appreciate y'all for giving me the platform to do that. But wanted to throw that out there. But man, let's let's get uh let's get into week 10 of real quick call in number 701-779-9585, as y'all know. But man, offensive players of the week. 
we have a what, what this is probably Lindsey Scott's fourth or fifth offensive player of the week on the show. And again, I just want to throw this out there. Those stats are from the first two quarters again. Lindsey Scott played two quarters. And in two quarters against Houston, uh, Houston Baptist or, or Christian now, 75% completion percentage, 319 passing yards, and seven passing touchdowns to five different wide receivers. Lindsey Scott coming into this game was one of only three quarterbacks to ever throw for seven touchdowns and a half. It only happened twice in the history of history of FCS football. Lindsey Scott did it earlier this year and now has done it again. So he holds he's one of three quarterbacks to throw for seven touchdowns and a half and has done it twice this season in, in a span of about four or five weeks. Lindsey Scott right now, unless Tim Demoret does something out of the out of this world in the in the next two weeks ending the season, I I, I really I, I don't see how Lindsey Scott doesn't walk away with the Walter Payton Award. It is not even a debate anymore. He has almost forty passing touchdowns already. Man leads the uh, leads the country regardless of level in that. He's second in passing yards uh, just behind Tim Demoret. But man, Lindsey Scott is on a different level, and I'm pretty sure if I got to double check, he is on pace with Rishudinsky. Both of those guys could potentially break the completion percentage record for the NCAA at the FCS level, and Lindsey Scott is on pace to break the NCAA record for passer efficiency in a season. So the the long list of accomplishments for Lindsey Scott at Incarnate Word after he transferred from Nichols State is it is insane, and I mean th- this is just. I've never seen anything like what I'm seeing with what Lindsey Scott is doing at Incarnate Word. Um, Kirk, I don't know if he has a draft grade. I know there's some people looking at him from what I was told, but he's a bit undersized. I don't I don't even think he's six foot. And I think that's the biggest concern right now. And then also one of the downsides that I've heard is that, quote, unquote, he's a system quarterback, even though I don't think that's necessarily true. I'm hoping he gets a look, but I still think he's probably going to be a mid to lower round uh, uh, grade type player, if I had to imagine it. But for me, I hope he gets a look. But man, we're coming off a year that Eric Berrier, Cole Kelly, and a bunch of other guys that set a lot of records and had outstanding, um, outstanding college careers didn't get a didn't get a look. So that, that's the, that's that's the that's the big question for me is man just overall respect put on FCS football. But Hayden Hatton, Idaho tight end, I believe this is his second offensive player of the week this weekend from the tight end spot. Ten catches, one hundred and forty six receiving yards, and four receiving touchdowns from the tight end spot man anybody any wavers it's hard for wide receivers to get that many targets for a tight end his first year in the program to go get four touchdowns in a, in a really with a freshman quarterback as well man Hayden Hatton had to be there he is legit I think moving forward Hayden Hatton has an opportunity going into the future to be the best tight end in FCS football and I think he's the next great FCS tight end to probably go to the league if he continues to develop his skills moving forward he has the size he has the ability to play in multiple schemes and he has the ability to fit multiple roles on the offense he can block he 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 can block he can go he can go catch he can be a he can do everything he can play special teams as well he has he's done for the vandals um that, that it he's legit i agree man I, he is he is 
a legit talent. And Jermaine Corbett, Stonehill running back, is my final one. The NEC, the Patriot League, doesn't get a lot of love on a lot of channels. I went out, I, I saw his performance. Someone sent it to me on Twitter. Stonehill is in the NEC. I know that's the school we probably haven't mentioned on the show. Jermaine Corbett deserved to get this award over. There was offensive player of the week. Scott and Hatton were easy. There were so many running backs who had big games this weekend. There were multiple running backs. Geno Hess, uh, Savion Wilkerson, um, Tootin again for North Carolina A&T put on a hell of a performance. And there were a handful of other guys, but Corbett, 16 carries, 227 yards, three rushing touchdowns, and averaged 14.2 yards per carry and a big win for Stonehill this weekend. So he had the best stats of them all. He put on an outstanding performance. I thought he should get an honorable mention here as the third offensive player of the week here on the show. Um, Defensive players of the week, Chance Gamble, Kennesaw State DB, is probably going to be a consensus player of the week this week for every – FCS publication, eight total tackles, three interceptions, 128 interception return yards this weekend against UT Martin, and a pick six defensive touchdown for Chance Gamble for Kennesaw State. It, I mean, he was all over the field. Kennesaw State forced five interceptions by UT Martin, pulled off the big upset to really keep uh, man, their season's been such a disappointment after being a top 10 ranked team. This was a lone bright spot, a big win over UT Martin. But when you get three picks, a defensive touchdown, and put up over 130 return yards by yourself, you got to be defensive player of the week. Marcus Hillman, Elon defensive back. I got to see him up close and personal last week. This guy, in my opinion, has some pro-level talent. Eight total tackles, four for loss, two sacks, forced a crucial fumble, and a big win for Elon this weekend. And then finally, Patrick Godbolt, South Carolina State linebacker. He gets the honorable mention because they lost, but that's why I put him third. Eight total tackles, four for loss, a sack, an INT, and a forced fumble from the defensive line spot. He was all over the field for South Carolina State, one of the few positives after a atrocious loss that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um The reason I didn't put the guy who had 26 tackles uh, is because he put up a lot of tackles, but one – He was facing a triple option based team and he had zero tackles for loss, zero sacks, zero quarterback hurry, zero. Like all he gave me was 26 tackles. I need more than just a like to me getting eight total tackles, but four were for loss, two were for sacks. You force a big force fumble is more impressive than just getting a bunch of tackles against a team that's going to run in the box all game long. So that's the reason I didn't put him on here. Plus, he also did lose. And so for me, I would rather a guy who pads a stack bo- stat box in significant ways with tackles for loss, sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, defensive touchdowns, rather than a guy who just gets me a bunch of tackles, but none of them came in, in, in any – it's like more – yeah, here we go, more substance in, in the stat box rather than just a whole bunch of tackles that didn't mean nothing. That's just that's just me. Uh, the TSU versus Jack State play-by-play said Willis Patrick is JSU's best offensive player. Uh, no, I'm just gonna. I, no, I I don't. Uh, I don't think he's their best offensive player. I mean, he potentially could be their best offensive lineman, but I don't. I don't think he's the best overall offensive player that they have in terms of overall impact or. Talent, I listen, that's that's a lot of love. I agree. Listen, Willis Patrick has been great this year on the offensive line. I just I I don't think he I, he's great, but bro, you have a lot of good you have a lot of good players um 
I have a, I have a lot of great. There's a lot of great players on that offense. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm usually always offensive line, but I don't know if you could say he's the best player on there in uh on their entire team right now on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but man, real quick. Okay. Okay, okay, he said, okay, best offensive lineman. I can get behind that based on how he's played this year, okay? I, I must have misread the comment or he, or he mistyped that. Yeah, okay, I thought he meant best overall player. I appreciate the clarification on that. Yes, he probably is the best offensive lineman, or at least this year has been. I still love Tyler Brown's game and, and Zach Bro, but I, I he's probably been the most consistent because he's had to move around the line. He's He's – Playing, he's potentially playing out of position, like um, like like uh, B said in here, and I think that's why you probably got to lean. Um, I, I I would I would definitely lean toward him, but man, Semo Tennessee State. I talked about this game a little bit earlier. This game from the jump was a mismatch, and now Tennessee State's got a lot of talent, man. It's just that they could not stop the run at all. They they could not stop the run whatsoever. Paxton Paxton DeLorent didn't even have to do much, and he got hurt early in the game on a sack where he got his ankle rolled. Thirteen for fourteen though through the air because all he was all he had to do was dump it down. Gino has one thirty six, three touchdowns. Simo put up three hundred and ten yards rushing, seven point two yards per carry, and rushed for five touchdowns this weekend. And what happened like the biggest indictment for me on the on the front seven for Tennessee State where they got dominated was they so they took Gino Hess out early in the second half. I mean, Gino Hess really and truly watching him live was special, but he could have had two two fifty on the ground if they would have kept him in the second half. He, I mean, he. They could not stop him. And if you go watch the highlights I posted, every single time he touched the ball, it was damn near a first down. But they put Daryl Smith in. They put Robbins in. They put all. They put the backups in, and they both bust out a big run and, and get to the end zone late in the game. And it was just a lack of execution, even late in the game, when even it wasn't out of reach. And it just seemed like every time Tennessee State got some momentum, they missed two big field goals. The field goal kicker hit the uprights twice in the red zone, so they're over two in red zone opportunities. And every time they had any sort of offensive consistency, Simo would force a sack or there'd be a drop pass or the offensive line would would, would fail to pick up a blitz and the running back would get smacked. It, it was just time after time, something, something just seemed to knock Tennessee State out of scoring range or bad penalty. It, it, it was just it, – it wasn't – it was not a great performance by TSU. I 100% expected more out of this team. 100% think they got more talent than they showed. Draylon Ellis threw for 100 yards, this 104 yards this weekend, and I mean that was that was really it, man. The 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 Semo defense was so fast. They knew they didn't trust Draylon to push the ball down the field. They loaded the box, and the DBs were playing downhill. And every time Starling or one of the running backs touched the football, there was a Semo defender right in his face. They had a few runs that 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 busted out, you would say, but that was it. And also, man, Tennessee State, you get so you have two games at home or or quote unquote home in Nissan Stadium. I don't know why they don't play at Hale. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure there's some reason. I, I've, it hasn't been explained to me, but they got to play. They got to play games on campus, man. Um, 
Nissan Stadium is beautiful. It's so awesome to bring the recruits into Nissan Stadium. Get look at the NFL Stadium. But someone even commented it on the highlight video I posted. The the attendance was not great, and there at at the beginning of the game there were more SEMO fans in in Nissan Stadium than Tennessee State fans at a point. And you just cannot have that. I understand that it's it's a drive and it's not on campus and. All all this stuff and, and the weather wasn't great that day, but man, I I got to have more. They need more attendance. They need more support from the fans, especially in big games like this. Man, the the energy was coming from the wrong side, especially when things started to get out of hand. So that that's one thing that I, I think the players and Eddie George and and everyone uh, that they, they have a real issue. I I can't see why they don't have a real issue with that. Um, so. But, man, Youngstown State pulls out a big win. That um, They have a chance now, an outside chance, if Youngstown State could find a way to win out. Youngstown, Youngstown State could sneak into the playoffs. They're going to probably be on the bubble. This was probably a playoff elimination match for them in Illinois State. And, again, they were, they, they were, they were able to squeeze this one out. Neither offense really established a lot of consistency, especially through the air, but I thought, I thought Mitch Davidson did enough to to win this game. He comes in, Demetri Crenshaw, um, out in this one. He was sacked three times, but was still consistent. Threw a touchdown, no turnovers, which was big. Jaleel McLaughlin did his thing, ninety five yards rushing, and it it just came down to Illinois State making mistakes in in crucial moments, to say the least. And also Tommy Rittenhouse not getting it done through the air, which he's been able to do all year. And also Daniel Skabowskitz was his only receiving threat. Six catches, 96 yards. There was only one other player that even got listed with a catch this weekend. Illinois State needed a little bit more variety in their offense, but this was a big win for Youngstown State and keeps potentially their playoff hopes alive moving forward. And Kennesaw State, out of nowhere. I'm just going to say it, out of nowhere. Kennesaw State has been one of the most, in my opinion, probably outside of maybe Missouri State been one of the more disappointing teams this season just in terms of comparing preseason expectations to what has actually happened. This was a huge win. They probably don't have a shot at the playoffs. But Xavier Shepard throws two touchdowns. He had three completions for two touchdowns in a triple option offense. And Kennesaw State was able to consistently run the football. And this is what I say. If you have, if you are running, if your team is run based and you know that your success is based on running the football, even if you're not breaking big runs and you're getting th- three, four, five yards a, a pop, stay with it. If that's your identity, don't abandon it because it's not generating the explosive plays that you were supposed to. Kennesaw State averaged 3.9 yards per carry, but still rushed for almost 300 yards, had 70 attempts on the ground and rushed for three touchdowns. Grind it out. If, if you run the ball well, it's going to come eventually, man, especially when you – and then Xavier, Xavier Shepard took advantage through the air, and also you've got to give the defense credit. I mentioned Chance earlier. They forced Dresser win, who came in top five in the FCS in passing. They forced five interceptions – held them to 28 of 46 through the air turnovers and their ability to stick with the run game and just grind it out on the ground, dominate the time of possession. Uh, this was a big win for Kennesaw state and a win that Bohannon really needed for the, uh, for the future of this program. And then finally I need everyone in the chat. 
because I because I got drug the other week for saying that Hampton deserves some credit. I need a round of I, I listen. You can say what you want about there's no good losses to hang in there with William and Mary, who has been dominating people this season. And you got to you got to give Hampton some credit. They William and Mary came into that women Mary went into Hampton. Everyone thought this was going to be a blowout, including me. I didn't give them much of a chance and Hampton was able to make it interesting that they, they, they did. They did a great job early, had some chances to win the game. It just came down to the fact that they, at the end of the game, when it came down to it, they could not stop the rushing attack of William and Mary. It's been the same thing consistently. The quarterback play for William and Mary is a bit questionable at times, but man, Bronson Yoder, Malachi Moa, those two guys combined for a terrifying duo at the running back spot. Yoder, 115 and a touchdown. Moa, 93 yards, averaged almost 10 yards per carry. Again, he's averaging like eight yards per carry this season. And, man, they just couldn't stop it. That's really what it was. But Hampton neutralized the front seven really well. John Pius didn't get off in a big way. He had, he had like six or seven tackles, but no sacks, no tackles for loss this weekend. This was this was a solid performance by Hampton, and you can tell programs start to gain a little um, a little momentum. And I think I think if Hampton can just continue the little momentum moving forward, this team this team is not going to be bad. And I, I I think Hampton deserves a little bit more credit than what people are giving them for their first year in the CAA. Because I mean, it went from the preseason to they might not win a game this year to they are competing like with some really good teams and they, they strung together some really good wins and in, in performances. So they've had their, they've had their down spots, but I think first year in the CAA, man, Hampton has not had a bad season. And so I, I would, I would like to see them get a little bit more credit from, from fans moving forward and even some media, but top FCS games, man, uh, before we get to our HBC recap in our two games of the week, um, South Dakota State got a little bit of a scare. This was deemed as the trap game on the schedule by a lot of people. You and I is a team that came into this one. They had to get this one to stay in the playoffs, and they gave and they gave South Dakota State everything they wanted and more. And you got to give Theo Day credit. Theo Day kept them in the game time and time again. Two seventy-two touchdowns, but the front seven for for South Dakota State deserves a lot of credit. Five sacks. This weekend for the Jacks and the rushing attack, 164, two touchdowns. You and I just wasn't able to slow down Isaiah Davis. Isaiah Davis had an amazing game, and the front seven was too much. That's the story of everything for you and I this weekend in South Dakota State. And also penalties. South Dakota State misses a field goal. They get they get another shot due to a, a dumb penalty by you and I. Discipline in key situations matters, and, and it really and truly bit the bit, bit the Panthers um, this weekend, man. So South Dakota State escapes their trap game. It doesn't like they're going to lose again. South Dakota State has clinched the playoffs. They're the third team to clinch their playoff bid. Holy Cross and um, Holy Cross also clinched it this weekend. So big game, big game this weekend uh, for South Dakota State. Montana State. Also had a scare. I talked about this being a big weekend of struggle wins. NAU, Montana State had to go on the road, and it was way closer than people were expecting. And I, I put in my article, I said last week on the preview show, if NAU had any shot in this game, R.J. Martinez had to play like he did in his, at, at times in his freshman year. R.J. Martinez, 452 yards, three touchdowns, was sacked three times, though. 
It just came down to this. Now, stop me if y'all heard this before. Montana State was able to run the football to win this game. That, that's, that's what it was. Tommy Malott, 119, three touchdowns again. Elijah Elliott, 92 yards. Garrett Kuhn, 58 yards, all averaging almost six yards per carry. The Montana State's rushing attack is, is probably, I would say them and Sac State are the two best rushing attacks in the entire country. It is damn near impossible to slow down this rushing attack. 250 or less is slowing down these rushing attacks, but man, RJ Martinez was really what made this one close, but it just came down to Montana state and that rushing attack, making key plays down the stretch to pull off this comeback win, big win, big win for the Bobcats quickly here. The last two games, Princeton keeps their undefeated season alive. They don't go to the playoffs, of course, but it looks like Princeton is going to walk away with the Ivy league title this season. This, this week they did it through the air, 264 passing for stretched, Stretstom, I hate saying that name, and their their front seven slowed down Dartmouth's rushing attack. When you watch Dartmouth, they're going to want want to run the football. They held them to under three yards per carry this weekend in a low-scoring game. Ryan Butler had another big game. They were able to run for 112 and two touchdowns, and that was the story of the game, and it was a defensive struggle, and Princeton had enough plays on the offensive side of the football to get out here with the win. And then finally, Richmond, New Hampshire, this was a big one. New Hampshire, no longer the only undefeated team in the CAA. There's like a four-way tie at the top of the CAA now. The the auto bid is up in the air, to say the least, in the CAA after Richmond's win. Reese Judinsky, 287, three touchdowns again. And also, we we know what the kryptonite is for New Hampshire. Look at their three losses. Central, uh, I believe it's Western Michigan, their FBS loss, and, and the Richmond loss. If you slow down the rushing attack, it's a wrap. New ha- like Max Brosmer had a great game, three t- three three touchdowns through the air this weekend. But New Hampshire goes as Dylan Lobb does at the running back spot, zero point six yards per carry this weekend for eleven yards. They ha- they had nineteen carries, eleven yards, and point six yards per carry. That's that's not winning football, especially when you're a run first team. The fact they still put up 34 points behind Brosmer is ridiculous, and, and he gets a lot of credit. But New Hampshire all season long has struggled to win games when they aren't able to run the football. Richmond's front seven played a hell of a game, and they also put up 121 on the ground, two touchdowns behind Savian Smith and Aaron Dykes. That was that was the overall difference in the game. Tristan Wheeler in that front seven for the Spiders is legit. And that they they showed it this weekend with a big win against New Hampshire. Richmond probably, I, I think they could have potentially locked up their spot in the playoffs. New Hampshire now has two huge games to end the season against Delaware and William and Mary. Those games are going to probably be must wins if they expect to be a lock for the playoffs this weekend. Um, and then uh, we got a lot to talk about here. We have listen this list of four games. I got so much to say about <laughs> these four games. And hey, let's see. Oh, man. But um, then FAMU, I picked it. Coach Green, I need you to call in tonight. Don't like, you know the call in number? I need you to call in tonight. I, I, I told everyone, man, FAMU, um, FAMU, I, I thought FAMU was the better team coming into this one. I really did. And I, I don't understand what people were seeing in, in Southern. 
I, I really, I, I don't understand why everyone was so high on him. And I understand, listen, I get it. I, I, me and Scotty have, have debated this on the round table. I've talked to other people about this just because, just because the offense or quote, quote, the only offensive weapon is Musa to, is Musa to Xavier Smith. Yeah, that's, um, that that's okay. And, and it's kind of one dimensional, but at the same time, can you stop it? Because at the end of the day, that might be the, that might be the only weapon that might be the most efficient offensive attack. But guess what? Even if even if you know Musa is going to Xavier Smith, can you stop it? Because Southern knew it was coming and couldn't stop it. Musa two twenty four, three touchdowns, no turnovers, and Xavier Smith puts up another hundred yard game and a touchdown and, and, and a big win. And I mean that's it. And then also the quarterback struggle. I got told. Um, I was saying that I didn't think the quarterback play was good enough to beat Jackson State two weeks ago. And there were some comments, not not even on my channel. It was on someone else's stuff that I, they got sent to me um, about that. I, that it was like, man, so so this so this guy's going to say, you know, a quarterback can't play and he's not in college. It's like, dude, like just just watch the film. Ten for 23, a pick. No passing touchdowns between the two quarterbacks and blood and, and McCray. Eight for 20 for 88 yards in a pick is not going to win you many games, especially on the road against solid teams like FAMU. It's just it, it, you can be as one-dimensional as you want, but until Southern gets a quarterback, I think the ceiling is extremely capped on what this potential could be under Dooley. It, it, it comes down, can you find a quarterback? They rush for 224 in the touchdown, but it, eventually you're going to have to throw the football, and the fact that they are not able to push the ball down the field effectively – is going to is going is going to hurt them week in and week out. And here, perfect stat here: in three Southern losses this year, they have scored less than they have scored sixteen points. That's t- I don't know what you want me to say. I I, I think at every level, outside of potentially defensive line, I I think fam I think fam you was the team to beat. I, I don't understand like why this was, I, I don't understand why it was such a huge debate on why I thought fam you was, was going to come in, was going to win this game. And also you got the home winning streak. It just, man, I, I, I think this went about how I expected it. Big win for fam. You though, keeps their playoff hopes alive. And right now they are probably the, they're probably the second hottest team in the swag. And that Alabama state fam, you matchup is going to be amazing. It's probably one of the games of the week. I, I cannot wait to see that game because that's really that's going to be the deciding factor on who finishes second behind Jackson State in the division. And then Alcorn, PV, you know, I'm just going to briefly talk about this. This was a, what, Friday night game. I kind of was commenting over on, on Scotty's channel about this. This was a big win for Alcorn. And there was a lot of talk. I don't know if y'all are on Twitter with HBCU Nightly with Josh and everyone, but it was brought up as um, – that they, they, everyone was saying that it was a scheme issue for Alcorn State, and that McNair lost the locker room, and you know what, whatever else you want to put. And like for me, that was never the issue with Alcorn State. It was turnovers in crucial moments, and it was special teams. Like those are the two; those were the two things that consistently had them losing games. I mean, they lost to Grambling by thirty and outgamed them by like 200-plus yards and shut down the offense for Grambling. They lost to Texas Southern in the same exact way. 
throwing interceptions in the red zone and, and, and not being able to put the ball in good positions and winning the field battle in special teams. It was, it's it like for me, I think people overblew the real issues and it wasn't, it wasn't a McNair losing the locker room. It was like, man, they just had to go out here and not turn the football over and play decent on special teams. That's what it was. And so this was a big win on the road, but man, Trey Lawrence, and uh, not the not the guy at quarterback. I'll, I'll put it like that. But Jarvion Howard, in my opinion, he's got to be. I mean, he's got to be newcomer of the of the year in the swag, right? One twenty five, a touchdown again. I, I'm pretty sure. If I'm, I got to double check it. I think he's still leading the swag in rushing right now, and he's got to be approaching damn near a thousand yards on the season. J- Jarvion Howard has been electric for this offense and he has been a huge addition right now yeah so Jarvion Howard has a thousand yards rushing 10 rushing touchdowns right now on the season uh his first year running back beat out Nico Duffy for that spot it it was huge and yes they they beat themselves consistently consistently so that that that's my biggest thing with Alcorns they finally didn't beat themselves and you could say PV beat themselves that I feel so bad I never want to uh, I never want to like target a player for their performance, you know, or say anything ne- like super personal. But man, I just feel for the wide receiver that dropped that pass. I don't, I don't think if if anyone in the chat hasn't played football or even just any sport and had a play that you know defined the night and lost and lost the game because of the play that that you made or didn't make, I don't think you understand, man. The 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 psychology behind that and I feel for the kid so much because I mean at the end of the day it's still an 18 22 year old young man or whatever you want to say it was god man I I felt for him as soon as he dropped it my heart sank I I felt sick for him and it's just one of those moments man that Alcorn didn't make that big mistake to lose the game so I just yeah I I still won't be sleeping. I still I'm still not sleeping for him. It stresses me out just to think about it. And I hope and and you know, I hope the fan base, his teammates and everyone kind of let him know that there'd be another play that he can uh that you know that that, that he can make eventually to make up for it. So that that's where I'm going to leave it, man. Huge win for Alcorn State that uh on Friday night, a big win over PV and now man, that uh that Swack West is a little um, that Swack West is a little iffy um, with, with Southern losing, PV losing, Texas Southern losing to Jackson State this weekend. Alcorn is still kind of like hanging around there. It, that Swack West, th- these next two weeks is going to be so much fun. And then NCCU Howard in the battle for pr- probably the MEAC. If, if Central wins next week, it's a wrap, if I'm not mistaken. If Central wins next week, they are headed to the Celebration Bowl. If, if Jackson State wins next week, they're headed to the Celebration Bowl. It, they they came out here and put on a performance, and it's Davis Richard again. That is that is the key. It, if you want to know how Central played, pull up the stat line for Davis Richard. He he is the key to this team. Two eighty one through the air, three touchdowns, and on top of that as well, led them in rushing one hundred and four rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, had five total touchdowns this weekend for the Eagles' offense, and they and they were able to force Quentin Williams into that in, into mistakes. Quentin Williams was playing so well coming into this game, which is why Howard was at the top of the MEAC and and in this game 
um, early. And then 10 for 20, 105 yards, two picks. Not going to get it done again against arguably the most talented team in, in, in the conference. Uh, like I said coming into this one, the Quentin Williams was the key. Howard goes as Quentin Williams does. If he plays poorly, you see what you see what happens in the Alabama State game. You see what happens in, in the Harvard game, in this game. But if he go, but if he goes and plays well, this team is talented enough to compete with anybody else in in the MEAC. It was just Quentin Williams didn't come out and play his best game. The rushing attack was okay, ninety nine yards rushing, a touchdown. I didn't think they were able to take advantage of the NCCU defense. I thought the NCCU defense showed a lot of improvement on defending the run, especially when you go back and look at that Campbell game. NCCU played a hell of a game, big win. They're in the driver's seat for the MEAC now, and this is one I know a lot of people wanted to talk about. Oh, man, Delaware State pulls off the upset in overtime over South Carolina State, and I think it's time. I think it's time to all sit here on this show in the chat and just say they are not who we thought they were. South Carolina State just is not the team anyone thought they were going to be. And you could say you didn't think they were going to win the MEAC or whatever. That's fine. Nobody in the chat was going to bet me any amount of money that South Carolina State was going to lose to Morgan and Delaware State back-to-back weeks. I mean that that that's that's the truth of the matter. I mean they are not who anyone thought they are. I, they have they have talent and keep in key spots, but until they find a quarterback and until the rushing attack can be consistent, it, there, there's there's no chance South Carolina State um, is going to compete with is going to compete with an NCC. I, I'm sorry if you if you play that NCCU game ten times, I think NCCU wins nine of them. Really and truly, Tyrese Nick uh, Nick's played all right. Fifty percent completion percentage, one eighty-two, two touchdowns. That interception came at the worst time. I mean, the the absolute inopportune time. And they can't run the football. I don't understand what happened to the rushing attack for South Carolina State. They were supposed to, they had an all conference running back coming in. The offensive line was young last year, supposed to develop. They haven't developed anything. They've regressed, if anything. Look, I mean, they, they had, what, the one big 48-yard explosive touchdown by, uh, I think it was Brown Smith. Outside of that, they didn't even have 60 rushing yards. So it says they ran for 106 yards if you look at the box score. But if you watch the game and take that one explosive play away, they could not run the football. They could not run the football, and they have not been able to run the football in any crucial game this year and it's so weird with this team because you see what it could be when they have a quarterback when Corey Fields or whoever goes off and and they have a bit in the in the quarterback has a big game they upset NCCU if um it, it if he goes off in the second half they they find a way to upset Jackson State this is just just a lack of consistency it, it just aggravates me to death to watch how inconsistent this team is because like this comment let me find the comment here because this is the perfect um comment to describe this team and i don't know where it went uh here we go south carolina state has amazing individual players multiple guys who potentially have nfl draft grades but as a team they just have not put it together at all 
And as great as Shaq Davis is, as great as Godbold is, as great as um, who's the other defensive lineman? Um, uh, Jablonski is as great as BJ Davis is, as as great as um, whoever else you want to put in that conversation. That they just as a with with the scheme they try to run with the lack of execution and the lack of balance on the offensive side of the football. There's just no no way to move the football. The defense is out in the field forever, and you just had a recipe for disaster all year long. And I think they have they have been one of the more disappointing teams to me in the country. I know they didn't come in preseason top ten. Um, I, I know they didn't. I know they didn't come in with you know national expectations, but this 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 is tough. I mean, you're looking at the MEAC now. Where is South Carolina State going to finish? I mean, are we sure? Let, let me let me pull up their schedule real quick. Hang on. Are we sure that they're going to win out on the season? Let me pull up the schedule. They're sitting at three and six, one and two in conference, and they have games at Howard and then versus Norfolk State to end the season. Are we? Are I don't think I, I don't think it's a guarantee they beat Howard next weekend on the road. That I, I think they're one and four on the road. And you know Norfolk State, I don't think is very good either. But we'll see. I mean, that's that one's in Orangeburg. Maybe they can um, pull that one out. But I don't think of that, that that game against Howard's a a, a guaranteed win. So it, it's it's been a terrible terrible year for South Carolina State. That they, they have a lot of a lot of holes that they're going to have to fill this off season. They are going to have to find a quarterback. They're going to have to probably reload it running back. They're going to have to find another weapon outside of Shaq Davis at the wide receiver spot. And they're going to have to, I really do think one of the more underrated areas that South Carolina State regressed in. I think they got some talent in the secondary. I, I really do think the losses of Jacoby Durant and Zafir Kelly were a little bit overlooked. And I, listen, I, I get it. We all know how great talent they both were, especially Jacoby Durant. But I really do think we under underestimated how far they were going to drop. Um, and and I think that's where I'll leave it for right now, man. I just I, I think we we oh, we underestimated their losses and overestimated how much better they were going to be this next year. I, I think we overestimated how well they would uh. They would develop this offseason and definitely get the likes up, man. Appreciate all y'all tuning in, man. Um, definitely get the likes up. Two games of the week, Sac State, Weber, and then the fan vote, of course, Jackson State, Texas Southern. Uh, for Sac State, Weber State, 33-30, top five matchup. It is going to – it was in a hell of a game. Great – this was a great game. If you haven't had a chance, go watch this game. Um. I don't like I said with Montana State. I don't know if there's a team in the country at the FCS level that can hold Sac State or Montana State under 200 yards rushing. It's just insane. I mean, two rushing touchdowns again. They did it as a as a committee approach with Asher O'Hara, Cameron Scadabo, Marcus Fulcher even got in, averaged almost six yards per carry for the Hornets, and and Asher O'Hara coming. Th- Usually Jake Dunaway is the sole passer, but. Asher O'Hara, 10 for 13, 162 and a touchdown against a really, really talented secondary for Weber State. And Weber State was able to do some things on the ground. And it, it I, I've been extremely, extremely impressed with this with this 
Sac State team. And Pierre Williams, 472. Marshall Martin, guy you see pictured here, four catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns from the tight end spot. Him and Hayden Hatton, both guys coming from the big sky, are two tight ends that I think have real NFL potential. I haven't seen the tight end really be able to stretch the field vertically like I see Marshall Marshall Martin do every single week. His ability to do that with the rushing attack that Sac State has, it is extremely hard to defend. Tom McPherson had a great game as well. It just, I, I, I think we got to start looking at Sac State. I know they don't have the quote unquote historical success in the playoffs that you know a North Dakota State, a South Dakota State does. But if you're basing off a resume, you're basing it off the eye test, you're basing it off a strength of schedule, like who they faced and, and what we know about these teams, I mean, Sag State has a really good argument to be the best team in the country right this second. I, I, they, they do. I, they really have a great argument to be the best team in the country. And 431 against a, a Weaver State team that came in top 10 in the country in, in, in defense, man, I... I, I got to give it to him. Sac State, to me, coming into the season, I was a little bit curious about how they were going to compete, especially coming off of the, I would say, coming off of what happened in the playoffs last year. And they, they, I, I do, Amos. I think they, I think they have, I think they're plenty physical, especially, especially front seven defensively. Their offensive line. I would like to see their offensive line go up against uh, South Dakota State. That'll probably be one of the better front sevens they would face in the playoffs. But I, I do think, um, I, I do think they're 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 physical enough. And and I I think, man, Amos, you're looking at their schedule. I, I really do think they just went on the road and beat a really good Weber State team. That I think Weber State has the potential to potentially make a. A, what quarterfinal potentially semifinal run if, if depending on how the how the bracket lays out so I, I i think they got a i think they have enough physicality and i, I want to address another com, uh, comment yes i do think i do think um martin would probably play more of a wide receiver spot i i, I think his size is a little bit small to to be a like quote unquote like Who's a, who, I don't know who y'all consider the best blocking tight end in the league. I, th- I think George Kittle's a pretty good option, but I don't think he has that sort of physicality in terms of blocking. He's definitely a a wide receiver, a, a lot more wide receiver based tight end. Like, yeah, I think Kyle Pitts would be a good option because that was the same thing that people said about Kyle Pitts is that he didn't have the size to to. Uh, to block and I mean this I don't think he has the weight to be a quote because I think it was about 220 if I'm not mistaken 225 and that's not big enough to be a interior like tight end in terms of blocking but man huge win for Sac State we'll, um, and this is the game fan vote next week listen I don't care I, I, listen I love y'all I love putting stuff um, up to vote but I'm just going to let y'all know Jackson State, Alabama A&M is not going to be an option for the game of the week. I know there's a lot of Jackson State fans that watch the channel. We are not having a fan vote game of the week for Jackson State A&M next week, especially after A&M just lost to Valley. I'm just letting you all know we're doing a different fan vote game of the week. If even if I got to pay, even if I got to pick my own two fan vote games of the week and just rig it, we're not doing we're not doing Jackson State A&M. It's going to be a bloodbath 
in Mobile this upcoming weekend. So do not expect, do not expect that game to even be a list <laughs> listed all the potential games of the week. Um, but man, this it was this game was close early, and um, I, I want to start here because this this aggravates me to death because I hate when I hate when referees leave their fingerprints all over games and the refs were horrible both ways. The refs were atrocious, uh, just a tro- like throw the entire official, uh, like whoever officiated this game. I don't know if we could find a list somewhere of like who actually officiated this game. They should never be able to officiate a game the rest of the year together. Like you got to like drown them out with some really good refs. It, it was atrocious all game long. I'm just going to throw that out there. And and I went back and, you know, watched the full broadcast of this game. It is, it, it, it was bad. It, it was bad all around. And I hate, hate watching games where, where the refs just consistently, I mean, let's see, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up the penalty yards. I didn't know all those off the top of my head. Jackson state had 13 penalties for 113 yards and Texas Southern had eight penalties for 65 yards. It just it, it was terrible all the way. And, and I think both fan bases should be upset, really and truly. I, I don't think I don't think either fan base should be like, oh man, the refs cost us the game or the refs did this or that. the refs were bad on everyone. I just think and we like I, I just think the FCS needs better referees all around, especially the swag. It Jesus Christ. But anyway, to, to get to the game, you know, I they did what I was kind of saying, I, I said in the preview that if Jackson State just ran the football, I, I didn't. I didn't see this game. Uh, uh, I, I didn't see this game being fairly close. And they ran the football thirty-eight uh, rushing attempts this weekend, two hundred and thirty-two rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, averaged over six yards per carry, and saving on Wilkerson is it, just that guy. You see him in the picture there. I think he'll probably be co-SWAC Offensive Player of the Week because, I mean, Maurice Washington had a stupid game this weekend. But Savion Wilkerson, 214, two touchdowns, averaged eight yards per carry. As good as Texas Southern played for, what, you could probably say three quarters, it it was just clear that Jackson State was bigger and more physical up front. And for some, just I don't know if it's a scheme. I don't know if it's the execution, poor tackling. Texas Southern cannot stop the run, and they have not stopped the run all season long. And it was clear from the jump, Jackson State knew they could run the football, and Jackson State ran the football right down their throats. Shador, efficient, 23 for 32, 52, three touchdowns. And, I mean, he did what he did. I thought this was Shane Hook's best performance of the year. Uh, probably one of the better performances of his, yeah, of, of just his Jackson State career in general. Seven catches, 76 yards, two touchdowns. His ability to just go up and get the football, it, impressive. And I thought he was a miss, a, a, a matchup nightmare all, all week. I mean, or all game long. And then also, man, DJ Stevens getting, um, getting some reps. And then I just, I'm trying to think about how to explain it. I know we've all seen the highlight of the Travis Hunter play where, I don't know how he made the dude miss. I don't know how he stopped. I thought his momentum was taking him out of bounds. And he just like looked like he was falling, but he fell back and made the guy miss. 
I don't think people understand what really separates the elite players from even just the great players is the speed of the game and how they see the game on the field. And the fact that he saw had had the ability to see him out of the corner of his eye off balance on the sideline with no room and find a way to make him miss. I, I don't think people understand how much athleticism that really takes. I it the, the kid is different. I'm just <laughs> we'll just leave it there. I mean the, the kid is 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 that good. And, and I, I don't think people understand like that is like if you want an example of what separates elite players from like pretty good players or even great players, it's that. It's it's their ability to just pull off just insane things like that but i thought texas southern they could they tried to commit to running the football which which was good man you knew you couldn't put this game solely on andrew body or jackson state was just going to pin their ears back and come get them and i thought it was great they had 41 rushing attempts they've rushed for 130 yards a, a touchdown from jacory howard on, on that um in the red zone they stuck to their game plan it worked for a while it also helped that jackson state made some really bad mistakes especially on special teams um but i i I thought Texas southern did what they could early but at the end of the day this game went how i thought it was i thought i thought jackson state was the more talented team at every position and they were able to take advantage of what texas southern doesn't do well which is defend the run they had the best quarterback in the swag he had a good game that combination right there you're not you're not gonna be able to pull the upset even at home and i do got to give a shout out the crowd was great. I, when I went back and watched, I, I had it on in my headphones. It, I, Jackson State traveled. Texas Southern has some fans. Sh- uh, listen, it was a great atmosphere, and and it looked so much fun in that stadium. That and I, I still don't like them playing off campus, but when the fans are there, that looks like a that looks like a amazing place to be. I can just, I like I like the design of it and everything. I don't know. I don't, I wasn't there, so I, I'll let some people who were there um, tell me. It, it looked like it was fun. Anyone who traveled, call in, comment. It it looked it looked it looked great. It, it like a fun time. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. Definitely, uh, no offense to Nissan Stadium, <laughs> but that it looked like it, he said the scalpers took them. <laughs> oh man, I saw. Uh, I saw they were trying to sell the tickets for uh, I, like man, I saw some for hundreds of dollars on on some site. It um, <laughs> Jesus, listen, and I think people just got to get used to that too. Um, I it, it it happens at every level. I mean, there were there were tickets. I don't know if y'all saw this weekend for the Tennessee Georgia game. The scalpers got on because I know the section and I know it was the uh. I know it was the alumni section because I, I know some people in Athens who sit in that section. There were some there were some seats for that Georgia Tennessee game from the from the season ticket holder section that were going for like nine grand, ten grand per ticket. And I was like, man, who is paying ten grand for a regular season ticket? I just Jesus, man, it it it, it happens. Nah, I'm not surprised, man. The scalpers, anytime there's a chance to make some money, that they, they are going to find um they're going to find a way to get their hands on some tickets and try to make a killing. Um, but so it's been a long week. So we got to get into, um, I, I said I was going to stick to it. 
and continue some HBCU top 10 rankings. This was hard. I'm going to be honest. I almost came on here, be my complete transparency. I almost came on here and gave y'all and um, I, 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 get, I almost gave y'all guys an HBCU top five because I, after I get past five, I don't know. Like you guys could give me just a hat with a bunch of with a bunch of random swack and meak teams in a hat on, on a piece of paper, and I'll just pick it out of the hat, and that's and that's who can be six through ten, and we'll just pick it together on the stream next week, and 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 that's how we're going to determine six through six through ten. Because after you get past the top five, dude, it is just it's like it's like trying to pick. It, it's like it's ridiculous. I mean, you're going through, and it's like, okay, well, can this team be number six? Well, no, they lost to this team by thirty, but um, oh man, well, this team lost to another team by forty. It's just like picking like a graveyard of teams that don't have anything going for it. But listen, I brought y'all a top ten, so we'll just talk about the top five, and then six through ten, y'all can argue about it because I, I don't really, I, I'm good with it because I, I don't know either. But one. Easily Jackson State. Two is Central. I got FAM going to three. A&T at four. Alabama State's my number five. And then starting out the graveyard, Southern, Howard, Delaware State, PV, and Texas Southern. And everyone else is just even more in the graveyard moving forward <laughs> for their season. Uh, for me, the top two is easy. I think those are the two best teams right now in HBCU football. And I, I, I don't even – I don't think it's – uh. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's very close. A and T and FAMU can be debated, in my opinion. But for me, I think fam, the the way I, I I would pick right now, watching both games this week, is I watched the the, the North Carolina A and T versus Norfolk game. I right now I would I would lean FAMU based on this weekend, and I go back and forth on it. Um, Alabama State, I think has earned the top five ranking. I think Alabama state right now is better than Southern. I I would pick Alabama state to, I, I would pick Alabama state over all the teams behind them right now. I really would. And at, listen, I see y'all saying Southern isn't at six. I can't drop them below PV because that, that just happened. And I, I, I think, even if they play, I don't, it's just, it's listen, six through 10. Like I told you, y'all can debate it all day. I think Howard stays in my top eight because I don't think a loss to central is the worst thing in the world. And Delaware state just got done beating South Carolina state. They've been rolling, put them at eight PV can't drop them too far out. They, they've literally had a chance to win the game. The wide receiver dropped a wide open pass. Texas Southern got beat by the number one team in the rankings, but so did everybody. The number three team lost by 56. So I can't drop Texas Southern out of the top 10 for losing by less than 56. Then, then you got Southern who, yeah, they got beat to death by Jackson state, but so did everybody else. It's just, ah, uh, man, I like six through 10. is just like who, who got the worst beating from the top teams. That, that that's <laughs> that, that's that's what the rankings six through ten are is like or really five through ten like anywhere like around that like it, it's just who got beat by Jackson State or someone by less it, it, it's just, it's horrible but I mean yeah you can make an argument for Howard over Southern I wouldn't mind that um and, and then you know I can't the only reason I can't put Hampton on there Jarius is because they have lost um Hampton Hampton could be argued, but they've lost what five straight games now. I, I'm pretty sure they're on a five game losing streak. And bro, you 
you can't put Tennessee State on this list. Tennessee State just got beat 42 to nothing at home, like literally a, less than 24 hours ago. You can't put t- Tennessee State just got beat by 0-7 Murray State 19-3. to The SID for Tennessee State came up to me and said that Tennessee State hasn't scored a touchdown in two weeks. T- Tennessee State can't be on there. If you haven't scored a touchdown in two weeks against Murray State in SEMO, yeah, I, I can't put you in the top 10. I'm sorry. That like zero, zero shot. Zero shot Tennessee State can be in the top 10 after not scoring a touchdown in two weeks. Man, I got one caller here. Let me t- open up the call line here. 7485, you're live. Yeah, what's up, Blue? This is Margo from Jackson. What's good, man? Nah, not much, man. Uh, well, I ain't going to speak too much on the, the Jackson game. We, I mean, they did what we already expected them to do. Uh, Fam, like I told Doc Holliday the other night, they pretty much doing what we expected them to do. Uh, they lost to UM, excuse me, UNC and uh, Court Jackson and then went out for the rest of the season. So, like I said, I ain't going to speak too much on that. But, okay, so you and Kobe had a, a show, uh FES show the other night. I wasn't able to attend to it, but if you didn't speak on it, uh, did you see – Tennessee getting smacked this week, bro. Not like that. I mean, I, I, I picked Tennessee in the close one. Just I felt I, I just went with my gut. I was wrong. But man, that Georgia defense is disgusting. Yeah. I don't see a team. I don't see an offense, especially especially with Ohio State struggling with Northwestern. I don't see a team that that's going to be able to put up points against Georgia. I mean, they. I know people saw the box score, or whatever. Man, they looked horrible. Georgia absolutely smacked them around for 60 minutes and then allowed that late touchdown in the second, in the, what was it, the fourth quarter? I mean, Georgia's that good. And they were missing two five-stars on the defensive line who were starters to start the season and absolutely drugged Tennessee, who was the hottest team in the country. Georgia is going to be hard to beat. And I, I, right now, I don't see anyone touching them. Indeed. Appreciate it, man. But uh, And I'm going to ask you this. Okay, so how do you see Alabama bouncing back for next year, man? It, this season over with. So, yeah. I think uh, another top five recruiting class will probably help with that. I'm just going to – I think that's what it is. And, I mean, the biggest thing for Alabama is, man, I've never seen a more penalized team ever under Nick Saban. I mean, what, they are averaging like 12 penalties a game minimum. It, it's a problem. And the, de- and the secondary and defense have not been – what it usually is under Saban. This is this is one of those years, kind of like what was it, 2010, where they lost three games. They lost to South Carolina, LSU, and Auburn that year. That was the year Auburn had Cam. They lost three games. Just remember what happened. They went to three straight national titles and won two. So I think Bama is going to be just fine. I think Bama will bounce back next year. Indeed, indeed, as well as. You know, along with that, it's starting to seem like it could be possible that SEC is kind of catching up to Saban, man. Uh, even with that recruiting class that could be possibly coming in. Uh, I mean, the way Tennessee performing, uh, aside from yesterday, is, and of course Georgia, uh, perhaps you can even throw uh, Ole Miss and LSU inside there. Uh, even, like I say, even with that top five, 
you uh, with they recruiting class coming in, do you think that the other schools could be possibly catching up with them just ultimately? No, maybe. Okay, so I'll say this. We've seen teams come out of nowhere like Tennessee, like you know LSU under a first-year head coach, that have emerged and, and outperformed expectations, but they haven't been able to per- perform at that high level as consistently as Georgia or Alabama has. My biggest question is, can Brian Kelly keep LSU at this level? Can Josh Heupel keep Tennessee at this level for three, four, maybe even five years? That's the real challenge because it, it you can catch Bama slacking every, once in once every few years, but can you stay there and compete with them for an extended amount of time? Kirby's proved he can do it, but no one else right now in the SEC has proved they can do that year in and year out. Okay. All right. I appreciate the call, Blue. Hey, appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. What's good, Steve? You're live. What's going on, Blue? How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing good. I'm glad you had a safe trip, man. Now, my Rattlers won seven in a row, Blue. Can they be on your bracketology or what? I think they have a – with the way that – with the, I got I, I haven't – my bracketology is coming out Wednesday on Wednesday's show, but just off the top of okay. my head, I, they're going to be right there, man. I think it – what happens in the SoCon this weekend could be a really big, a really, really big year. I mean, or big week, because depending on who wins, who loses, there could be a SoCon team that's sitting on the bubble. And if they don't win the games they're supposed to to end the season, that could open up a door for FAMU. And also, if, if you're a FAMU fan, you're hoping New Hampshire falls off a cliff. If they, lo- if they lose out, there's a good <laughs> chance that they're probably out. And also, you're really hoping that one of these teams that are on the bubble, like a North Dakota, someone like that, lose a game they're not supposed to in these next two weeks, and that can open up um, that can open up a door as well for FAMU. But I do think they're going to have a shot, a better shot than I thought they were going to have two or three weeks ago. Okay, okay. I know we got to finish the job. Uh, next week against Alabama State and then the Florida Classic. But also, I mean, I got four CAA teams going to the playoffs and four uh, Big Sky teams going to the playoffs. I mean, man, it, it's, it's real deep right now. There might be more than four. Now, I'm trying to think off the top of my head because you got Montana. Well, Montana will be on the bubble. But if Sac they, State. If, yeah, let's, let's just say Montana, Sac State, Weber State, um, Montana State. I mean, there's there's a few. And Idaho, also, you think Idaho? Can yeah, get in? Idaho's locked in. My bad, I forgot about them. And then also, don't sleep on UC Davis. They play. Okay, they, yeah, yeah. UC Davis last. Yeah, if they win out, UC Davis is going to be in too. So that's another team you got to root against. You better hope Sac State drags UC Davis this weekend to, to shut that noise up <laughs> because you are not winning a resume I, I can, battle. I can with guarantee UC. that. I can guarantee that will because they're seventeen and zero in conference play. Wow. Yeah, they haven't lost a game since 2019 in conference, which is just insane, especially when you look at who's in their conference. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, Blue, man, you have a good night, man. Hey, appreciate the call. All right. 
Hey, Blue. What's up, man? Hey, I got a question for you. I think about what Coach Prime is always talking about when he's saying, I want to dominate. I think that Coach is probably being realistic about <clears throat> the weakness of HBCU football. And I think the reason why he wants to dominate in the, in the, in the SWAC and HBCU, because he's looking at in order for to shine a light on the SWAC and HBCU, he has to dominate where people are trying to get them to come out and play against uh, other FCS schools or FBS schools. I think he knows that's not realistic for them. But if he can dominate the SWAC year in and year out, then he can shine a light where guys uh, can possibly still get drafted and go to the NFL if they're dominating where they are now. You think that's probably what he's thinking about? Um, I, I mean, I, I take I take prob at, at his word where it's just they're focused on one thing at a time. And right now, he man, he just wants to dominate just because of I mean, eventually when you're criticizing a team or you're looking at a team, one, the eye test has to count eventually. And you, other than, Hey man, they haven't, uh, they haven't played anybody. I mean, how are you judging a team that's beaten everyone to death every week in a week? I mean, how, how have they had a, they haven't had a game that has been within what? 12 points, 14 points. Yeah. But I was thinking about what you said yesterday, yesterday blue. Uh, did you watch uh, in the locker room when he was talking to his players, he was saying that, you know, we have to dominate people if you want to get get looked at. That's what I'm saying. He was talking about unless we're dominating based on the way that uh, he's saying that NFL looks at HBCUs, he said that in the locker room yesterday. That's, so that's what made me think. So in his mind, he's thinking, you know, we have to beat everybody dominantly, even though that's his mindset to dominate anyway. But at this level, because think about it, why wouldn't he just go and play North Dakota State and try to do it that way? But he's just consistently saying, no, let's beat everybody here and make sure we dominate and shine the light so that NFL teams will start looking at HBCUs and say, oh, well, they do have quality players. That's what made me think that when he said it yesterday in the locker room after the win about dominating if he wants people to really acknowledge the fact that HBCUs have good players. I think because it's like a a double-sided thing for me is this isn't just a – you know, like I understand like the SWAC and MEAC are like are concerned with it being an HBCU issue because HBCU issue because it is for them. If you take a macro view of it, man, it's a problem for FCS in general, man. If you're not dominant at the FCS level, you don't get a look either. And even if you dominate, you still might not get a look. There's been, I mean, some of the older people in the chat, Mr. Campbell and everyone could probably tell, we could probably have a list of 40, 50 guys who were quote unquote dominant at the FCS level that didn't get a look for one reason or the other, or was undrafted or whatever. I mean, go look at the stats of Cooper cup in at college in college. I mean, he was breaking Jerry Rice's awards and couldn't get a look in the NFL. And we see how he turned out. 
I mean, he should have been drafted way higher than where he was. It is so mm-hmm. hard to get on the radar and and get the the proper evaluation. Because here's what here's what Pierce and I've talked about this on the show. What happens at the FCS level compared to the P five? At the P five, let's say you're evaluating X X player at Georgia. You see the film, mm-hmm. you see some weaknesses. When they see the weaknesses, they say the player across from him must be that good. Let's give him a look, too. He's probably playing against a quote-unquote pro talent. When you're evaluating an FCS player film, what the scouts will say is, oh, we made this mistake. He ain't playing anybody. He might not just be that good. Or when they see something spectacular. Mm -hmm. Like the first question that was asked when I posted the stats for Lindsey Scott, they were like, he don't play nobody. I, and mm-hmm. it's it's like, dude, do you know how hard it is to throw seven touchdowns and a half if you're playing against anybody, right? And especially an in conference team. And it's it's the same thing across FCS football. All I mean, how many players last year? Let's just look at it. Let's just look at it from a FCS perspective. How many players could everyone in the chat, me, you, name right now that we thought were NFL quality talent? that didn't get a shot. Wow. Uh, 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 I, can, I can give you a list of probably 20. And okay. starting with the past two Walter Payton Award winners. It's it's just, mm-hmm. it's a problem all around, man. And I, I don't know the solution. Listen, man, it's above my pay grade. It, it's above my influence. But that's why... Uh, that's why I strive on this platform to try to shine a light on those players. That's why there's so many interviews in the offseason on this channel, even though, listen, I understand that not every interview is going to generate a bunch of clicks or a bunch of views or everyone in the chat is going to want to watch it. Or I just like, Mm -hmm. I think there's really talented players that don't have a platform that aren't put on a spotlight and and need to need to have a platform to shine before the draft, and that's why I put so much emphasis on interviewing players who are coming up for the draft in the off season. And I think there needs to be more people that do that because there's too much talent at the FCS level that gets overlooked just because of quote unquote lack of competition. Right, right. Thank you, Blue. Hey, appreciate the call, man. All right, I'm gonna go one five four seven eight nine four five and then five five eight zero. One five four seven, you're live. Hey, how you doing? What's good, man? Uh, not much. I, I have a question. So I ain't gonna lie. I'm hurt. I got fans at South Carolina State, and after this loss, I ain't gonna lie. I, I I do think Coach Buddy might be done this year. If he does get fired. Uh, what kind of what kind of route do you think they should take in finding a new coach? I'll say I'll start with this: if South Carolina State fires Buddy Pugh, it will be the dumbest decision that South Carolina State could make. I don't think the issue is. I mean, because here here's what I say with with fans or anyone who say we should go get a new coach. Who are you? Who are you hiring tomorrow? that is going to achieve more than Buddy Pugh, who just won the Celebration Bowl last season. Mm-hmm, that's a good point. I mean, 
again, I'm, I'm not a Falcon State fan. I'm just I'm thinking if they continue to keep go, keep losing, keep keep going keep going down this losing streak, maybe not this immediately, but maybe next year or so he might get the hot seat. I was I guess my opinion to see if that was a possibility or they're going to try to ride out with a little bit longer. I, I don't see it happening. I, I'm, I'll be honest. Buddy Pugh being fired would be the most shocking. That would be more shocking than Jackson State hiring Deion Sanders, in my opinion. There's no way they should fire Buddy Pugh. And if they do, listen, South Carolina State gets will get everything they deserve in karma because there's no way they're hiring anybody who's going to be better than Buddy Pugh. Okay, I feel that. Um, next question. I saw that Fordham and Holy Cross game. I know. I honestly thought Holy Cross was going to lose, and then that punter from Fordham. I don't know what to say. I said, what's your opinion on that game, man? Because I know. I was so shocked that Fordham. I feel like they just thumped the, thumped the bag. They should have won that game. But I want your opinion on that. They had chances for sure, but they. You know, when you look at it from a holistic view, they just couldn't stop Matthew Solka. Uh, that's what it came down to, and Tim Demore had a had a big game, but they could that they could not stop the balance of what Solka was bringing for Holy Cross, and also the lack of execution. The defensive end cannot break outside Gatane like that on that two point conversion either. Jesus Christ, that was a terrible defensive like film study moment. I know he has to be upset. Uh, watching that, but I do agree. Fordham played well enough to win. I just think they ran into a team that was more balanced on the offensive side and had a better defensive, um, just a better defensive roster. And at the end of the day, that they probably made one stop to win the game. Okay, and I, I want a lot, lot of calls come in, but uh, AT and uh, Gardner will play next week. If both of them win their game uh, this year, I mean, AT has Charlotte Southern. I think they play, and I think Gardner plays Campbell this week. If both went out, I think both will be undefeated in conference. Uh, how big would that game be? And is it possible that – I know it's high on life with life. They didn't do the records. But uh, is it likely that – it's possible that the Big South could get teams in the, in the playoffs or we just won? Or like, it's a lot of chaos to get two wins? Okay, wait. Hey, hey can, you, can you walk me through the scenario one more time? Yeah. I, I, you were breaking yeah, up just a little bit. No, you're good. What I said was um, A&T and Garnival are playing – in my opinion, for the championship for the Big South next week. Uh, based on their records, uh, if both win this week into the game of the final of the final week, uh, in the final week, excuse me, is it possible that we possibly could see two two teams from the Big South going in, or that hot is that highly unlikely? Zero percent chance. Neither team has a resume that, if they lost a game, would get in in terms of it. Like I would let Fam you in over the second best big South team a thousand times over like whoever gets the auto bid will go and probably lose in the first round to be honest with you. But I I don't, there's no chance the big South sends two teams. I mean, if when you look at the resumes, there are no key wins for either team on that resume, especially with a loss to central for a and T who, if, if they somehow don't win the, the, the uh, MIAC we get in over them. I just don't see how the Big South sends two teams, to be honest with you, especially when you look at the strength of schedule and the lack of quality wins, ranked wins for either team. Okay, that's cool. Thank you, man. Appreciate your call, man.
888-382-8945. You're live. What up, Blue? This is Doc, man. <clears throat> What's good? Oh, nothing, man. Um, I got a question for – okay, so from what we saw uh, in the FCS with the win over Weber State, that people win over Weber State, do you think that uh, Sacramento State can actually get pushed up to the number one spot, or do you think that South, uh, South Dakota State has to lose one more time to – to get knocked off the perch. I cannot, like, like I say, I can't speak for the other, what, 53 voters. I think <laughs> they should. Do I think they will? No. I, I know Sam Herter already released his ballot. He had South Dakota State at number one. Um, I haven't seen anyone else's yet. A lot of people have released theirs on, on, on Monday. That, that's my next slide, actually, to sh- show my ballot. But, I think a lot of people, and this happens at the FBS, FCS level, it doesn't matter. They they sometimes base their rankings and tough decisions on hypothetical matchups that haven't or won't happen. Your rankings should be based on resume, what has happened on the field, odd tests, whatever you want to say. Your rankings should not be based on a hypothetical game that hasn't happened that you don't know like yes if you feel like x team will beat y team great you can't do your rankings like that because you don't know like great college football pickers pick at what a 70 maybe 80 percent clip that's a lot of error so i hate when people base their polls or rankings based on hypothetical matchups that haven't happened and i think that's why south dakota state will be number one come tomorrow Okay, so I still, so like I know Sacramento State just beat Weber State, but then they also beat Montana State and Montana. Don't, I don't, don't I they don't have wins against them for a conference? No, um, they don't have a conference championship game because um, they got too many teams. It will end. They can't. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like they, they, they beat those teams already. Uh, they, they did not. Um, let's see. So they got. I don't think no they don't they don't play Montana State on their schedule. Okay. They beat Idaho, Weber State, Montana, I think UC Davis, um I don't remember um all all the games but they they have multiple rank wins. Okay. And then my second my second question is you know going on the HBCU level. Um um barring um what we've seen from FAMU because, like I said, I know I pointed this out in uh, HBCU Nightly that FAMU has the it was was the worst ranked Russian offense in in the SWAC. Do you think uh, uh, Willie uh, Colson is going to go ahead and and recruit an actual running back to kind of offset the you know what they had last season with Bishop Bonner? Um, like him being the 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 lightning, and then Terrell James coming off being a thunder. Because what you have with Sam U, uh, as far as them running the ball, you have two big thumpers that basically can't, you know, what I'm saying, can't squirt out three and a half to four yards, you know, four yards of carry. But I know it's a, you know, to me, it's a winning coming, it's a winning formula that they have because they don't really too much rely on the run. They, you know, they rely basically on Musa. Do you think that uh, Willie's going to go ahead and try to find that 
um, quick slash type back uh, that they had like in Bishop Bonham? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the balance that they that they have in the running back room. Like one, I think there's multiple things that are happening here. One, people really underestimate how good Bishop Bonnet was. I mean, he was just a yeah. game changer, especially, um, uh, especially in big moments, man. And with all that experience, I really just think Bishop Bonnet was that good. Two, they lost a lot of pieces along the offensive line, and their running backs have been fighting injury issues. Ever like Terrell Jennings was out for a period of time. McLeod's battled injuries. Davis, um, the transfer from Georgia State was injured in the spring and hasn't even played, if I'm not mistaken. They've never been able to establish any rhythm or consistency in the running back room, and I think that's the bigger problem more so than they just don't have the talent or a quote-unquote balance in the running back room. But, man, Doc, I'm going to get to these last few callers, man, but I appreciate you calling in. All right, we'll go five five eight zero and then eight five zero five. Five five eight zero, you're live. Yeah, uh, Stuart, Stuart here. I have a question for you, and maybe uh, Mr. Campbell may know more about it too. And may he can may help answer this question. I mean, I've been watching for several years the ESPN, and they be basically. Uh, broadcasting historical black colleges football. What is the name of that broadcast uh, uh, individual from Howard University? Jay somebody or uh, Jay Walker? Uh, Jay Walker. Jay Walker. I can't understand why Jay Walker is the one that's picked almost eighty percent of the time, or at least seventy-five percent of the time, for all the historical black uh, games. And I'm wondering how does that system work? The other thing is that when Jay broadcasts, he's not describing the game. He's critiquing everybody. He's uh, the, 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 the ball runner should have done this. If I had been in there, I would have done that. The coach should have done this. The coach should have done that. You know, and, and, and I like that. I mean, you can't even hardly follow the game for him talking about what he would have been doing. You know, so I'm just trying to figure out What's going on here? I'm high that these people get picked. Can you help me with that? <laughs> it, so the way it looks is they have like a – so ESPN does this where they have like a crew of play-by-play color commentators for each conference. So like the same guys call SEC games. Like Greg McElroy is always on an SEC game. Uh, was it Aaron Murray? Guys like that. Jay Walker's just part of the HBCU crew where the HBCU game of the week or a game that um, ESPN is covering for HBCUs, he's going to be on it. Him, uh, was it uh, Tiffany, uh, RG3 potentially, they're they're the HBCU crew. So they're going to call the HBCU games. I think the problem is they haven't invested in developing more on-air talent for HBCU games. So they don't have... Anybody else that, to be, keep it simple with you? That, that, that's really probably what happens. But I will say his HBCU rankings are consistently atrocious. For someone who like covers, like it consistently calls the game, bro, those, those, those rankings are terrible. Yeah, I, 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 
Caller, you there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I was, I was waiting for you to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. That, that, that was my thing. The other thing is that I, 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 someone said get the rankings up. The other thing I like to say, I really appreciate your uh, I really appreciate your uh, professionalism. Is that's the word I want to say? Yeah, I mean, just straight to the point. You, you talk about facts. You, you you give scenarios that make sense. You uh, uh, have uh, made a lot of people understand a game that we never would have had no experience with, like these other teams like North Dakota and South Dakota and stuff like that. I would have never known really much about these other uh, conferences if you hadn't integrated this with your whole program. So I just said I appreciate your professionalism and keep up the good work. Thank you for the call, man. Appreciate that. for sure. Definitely appreciate that. I'm, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is Mr. Ford. Definitely appreciate Mr. That. Ford, you're live. Craig, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, hold on. Yeah, I saw what Morpheus said. That was my little brother. Uh, Morpheus, I have a sister. I don't have a brother. Uh, to answer one of your callers uh, about Buddy Pugh, Buddy Pugh just signed a brand-new contract after the Celebration Bowl last year. He's going to walk out when he gets ready. But what I called in for is that number six team right there on that HBCU ranking, Southern University. And I've come to the conclusion that they have an offensive coordinator as, as head coach. The one thing that Coach Dooley cannot do is that he cannot require discipline on his team. Now, let me just say this. Blue, you can hold me to this. After the Bayou Classic, Roman Banks, as athletic director of Southern University, he's going to get rid of some of them people on that staff. Coach uh, Dooley's not going to do it. But I'm going to tell you right now, Roman Banks is getting calls at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning because there's a lot of people. I know them people down in Baton Rouge. They ain't happy with what that, what's going on with that football team. Let me tell you something. That football team is underachieving, is undercoached, it's the biggest disappointment to me of all of these HBCU schools. I hate when schools got that kind of talent and then you got a trash uh, coaching staff. I'm just telling you, you just wait till after the Bayou Classic. The, the, the uh, people that you're going to be seeing leave that Southern campus, that Monday, going to be on that defensive staff. It might be more, but it's going to be on that defensive staff. Because I'm going to tell you right now, like I said, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. I'm a Grambling graduate, and I pull for Southern, too. But the way Southern is looking, the way they look last night, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. Now, I want to hear what you got, what you got to say about that. They definitely underachieved. I mean, there were some people who said voting them first in the division was – uh, it was a questionable call, but when, when you look at the talent that they came into the season with, it is sad to, to see the way they might go out. Because, I mean, you can't lose to Grambling. I'm sorry. If Southern loses to Grambling. Yeah, you better not. 
Because see, here, here's the thing about the kid. That, you know, me and you don't. We don't went back and forth about this. And I said this before. That kid, that's the quarterback for Southern University. That kid is not a dual threat quarterback. He's basically an athlete at quarterback. Okay. I watched him real good last night, and this is what he does. He looks at his first progression, and if it's not there immediately, he takes off. He has basically, you know what, that kid, Petrie, he's wearing 88. That kid is big time. There's another kid on that other side named Dyson. He is totally frustrated, them guys. Now, I saw the guy. Now, if you're going to play this uh, kid at at quarterback, you got to play two quarterbacks because there's too many things he can't do. He's too limited. And I I saw that kid, number four, coming off the bench last night. That kid got an arm. And that kid should be playing. But I'm just telling you now, you can hold me to this. When that Monday after the Bayou Classic, you're going to see some people on that coaching staff go home. Listen, thank you. And by the way, let me tell you this. Uh, I saw uh, two things I saw this weekend. For you Southern University people, if y'all want a defense coordinator, go down to Fort Valley State. They got a guy. I can't remember his name. He's the defense coordinator. He played for Rod Broadway at North Carolina A&T, young and up and coming. He knows what he's doing, been well trained. The other thing, Blue, uh, I'm watching this guy, Phil Lungo. He is the offensive coordinator at uh, University of North Carolina. He's with the Tar Heels. That guy would be a nice fit for Georgia Tech, too. He, 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 I watched him. He, he knows what he's doing. Now, he – has history with Sam Houston State, I believe. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, he's got a a deep, uh, I would say, like a strong background. And then the what yeah. he's done, what he's done with May, has been impressive. This is May's first year as a That's starter. If, if, now May wins the Heisman either next year or the year after, but May's gonna win the Heisman. He, he has so much talent. People forget he was committed to Bama and flipped to UNC. Yeah, like I mean, right. he was supposed to that's be the right. future for Nick Saban. But real quick, Mr. Ford, how do you feel about the uh-huh. uh, Valley win over A&M this Thursday? I feel like oh, that was I'm, a game. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy for Coach Dancy, and I still say I want the people at Mississippi Valley to give him more money, and I want him to go out and get more offensive coaches, and I want Jerry Rice to get off his ass and help his school. And as far as uh, – Alabama a m has an internal rock that Maynard's got to get rid of. That was an exchange between Maynard and one of them players as the player came out the field. I, I, I thought it was ridiculous. But Maynard's got to it's, – it's, uh, he's brought in some bad apples. With, you know, with him going to that transfer portal, he brought in some bad apples. And uh, he's got to get rid of them. He's got to get rid of them. I agree, and that defense—that was might have been the worst game that defense has played. This like now Hayes is legit. The transfer from um, App State, that kid is good, right? But other than him, right. the defense looked lost. You cannot let Valley carve your defense up after how bad they've been on the offensive side of the football. Well, they they haven't. What happened in that game too? They hadn't got over that Magic City Classic. They hadn't put that game behind them. The Magic City Classic helped beat them two, two games. Beat them at the Magic City and then beat them at Itabino. That That's another thing that hurt them, too. But uh, listen, let, let me just say this. Mr. Kelman, I don't mean no disrespect. 
But Florida and them don't need to go to no playoffs. Now, that team last year that Florida and them had, that team was missing one thing. They was missing a quarterback. This team this year, this, this team is uh, young, it's up and coming, but it's not a playoff team. And like I said, I don't mean no disrespect now, but it, it, this team at FAMU is not a playoff team. It's not. They don't. I, to be honest with you, they might get a shot at it, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. They have a shot now. I don't think yeah. they got. I don't think they have a very good shot of winning because when you look at how the bracket um, is shaping out, I mean they're probably going to have to go play Sanford, Mercer, someone like that. I don't like that matchup for them. Yeah. Now, usually, what happens in playoffs when uh, an HBC team comes from the MEAC or the SWAG, they put them against the number one or number two team in FCS. That always happens. So whoever's the number one team or the number two team, that's who FAMU would play, or that's who they got to react, that's who they would play. It's not going to be somebody that they could possibly beat. It's going to be some overwhelming odds and somebody they can't beat. That's where they always do it. Well, luckily, they, they can't do that anymore because of the bye weeks because the, num- the, the top eight teams get a bye week. So they w- the, the first round will be – and the first round's paired up geographically now, so they like the only teams I think that are within that that are within the four hundred mile range for FAMU that they could play uh-huh. would be one like would be one of the teams in Louisiana, Mississippi, Bama, and Georgia. So you're probably I don't think anyone from uh, southeastern Louisiana again could be it, or it's probably Mercer to be honest with you, because Kennesaw is not going to make the playoffs. So I think Sanford, Mercer, or Southeast Louisiana, if they can escape with the Southland title, will be your three games. Right. And I will say this, out of all the potential matchups, FAMU this year could beat Southeastern Louisiana because Southeastern Louisiana does not look good. They lost to Texas A&M Commerce first year at the FCS level. The quarterback play has not been there for Southeastern Louisiana since they lost Cole Kelly. If Musa and them uh-huh. can have a big game, now that's the only first-round matchup that I could potentially see FAMU coming away with the upset. Now, where they go in the second round, we'll see. And that's probably not – it's probably be like Incarnate Word or something like that, and that wouldn't be a great matchup for them. But they could – that would be the matchup. If you're a FAMU fan, pray Southeastern Louisiana wins the Southland, and that's the matchup because I think FAMU this year would be a very good matchup for in that one, I think they they could have a chance to win. You know what? Now, usually, if we have a chance to win, they don't put them games out there. They all put us on the heavy odds where we basically can't win the game. So I'm gonna be honest right now. I can't see them putting Sam against Southeast Louisiana for the mere fact that Sam might beat them. They'd never do that. Uh, they might, but I, I just don't see it. But uh, listen, I just want now. I I kind of. I saw, I've seen, uh, I've seen uh, your number two team right here, Central, and we know Central. We know what they got. I don't know. Now, I don't know how you got uh, Howard rated. They got some young talent, but uh-uh. uh, this Prairie View team, I like them. Um, I just, I just feel like it. You know, that offensive coordination is kind of 
it's, it's, it's just not strong as I would like it to be. But let me tell you something. What I'm doing this week, and I'm going to hang up after this, I'm looking forward, and I'm hoping that I'm there. I want to see Florida A&M in this Alabama State program because that game's going to tell us how far Alabama State has come, and we're going to see about this whole thing, about the real estate agent or is uh, Coach Robinson a real coach. Now, right now, I'm leaning toward this man is a real coach. The only thing I got problems with with uh, Alabama State is I still say that they don't have a system for that Davis kid, and I'm not impressed with that guy, Harry Williams, as offensive coordinator. Because if they ever go out and get an offensive coordinator for that, like I told you before, I don't know if I told you, Blue, but I told somebody, go back and get his high school playbook. Because what they're doing over there at Alabama State right now, they're throwing, just calling plays and throwing stuff against the wall, that's ridiculous. So my thing is, go back and get his high school playbook until you can get a real offensive coordinator in there. Listen, Blue, y'all have a good night and you're doing a great job, okay? Appreciate you, Mr. Ford. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I forgot to talk about that matchup. You know, I, I I wanted to kind of briefly touch on it, man. That A and M Valley game, man. That uh, the placement of it. I don't. When you when you, in the dictionary, when you look up trap game, putting a game on Thursday night on the road, a week after the biggest classic, one of the biggest classics in 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 the country, in the Magic City, and then a week before you face Jackson State in a neutral site. Jesus Christ, man! That, that is a that is the definition of trap game. Um, but I, I do agree. I think the Alabama State FAMU game is, is is probably the game of the week in terms of HBCU football next week. I don't, you know, there's not another game that uh out there that I think has the stakes nor two two teams that good facing up against each other in, in the MEAC or. The swack in the you know Tennessee State against UT Martin next week. Even at home, I don't think it's a. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's going to be a, a great, a, a great matchup for them. Um, with Campbell, I've had a bunch of people reach out to me and ask me questions. So this week, uh, Haj Malik got hurt. Haj Malik uh, did not play, so that was Campbell with a backup quarterback this week. And listen, he's good. Masco is a great freshman quarterback. But I don't. I don't think he was ready to step into that spot. He had a big game, but I still think Haj Malik is an important piece to what Campbell wants to do. Brian is not a scrub. Brian was a, had a, has a, almost knocked off an FBS team earlier this year. So yeah, they they was all with a backup quarterback um, this weekend. They was all with the Mr. Campbell, you're live. Yes, you. Okay. I got to bring some order to this house. So here's a couple of things. I, I want to address the Southern thing. Southern has five wins now, I believe. Let's just say everything goes right and they win seven. Didn't Southern only win like four games last year? So if Dooley comes in and wins seven games, he's had a successful season. You know what bothers me, and this is no disrespect to nobody in the chat or anybody else, this is year one. He does not have his quarterback. And I told everybody this on this show right here four weeks ago what Southern was going to do. Because here's the problem. And Jackson State clearly has too many people focused on them and not taking the game in front of them. I told everybody exactly what Southern was talking about the Jackson State game three games before they played Jackson. 
I told everybody the Jack State was going to blow them out, and I told you we were going to do the exact same thing because Southern had their Super Bowl. They were too focused on that game. Same thing that happened with Alabama A&M. The Magic City Club and Mr. Ford brought up a perfect point, and you brought up a perfect point. That was a trap game. Because you know why? Alabama A&M is talking about Jackson State. You're not going to win games when you are looking ahead. You're going to lose. And I, I knew exactly what Southern was going to do. And I knew Southern was in trouble. When I heard that Southern wasn't going to bring that band, and this is what I'm talking about with people knowing about HBC football, you have to know the culture of these teams. Southern football vibes off of that jukebox playing. Trust me. I have seen it for 40 years. When that band is rocking and rolling and them boys come into somebody else's stadium, they're like, we got the band, we got our crowd, we're going to try to win this game. When I knew that band was coming, I knew, I knew we were going to blow Southern out. They, they vibe over that. And I told you guys that McCray was a one-three quarterback. And that's exactly what he is. He's a running back playing quarterback. So that is that. So Southern people, if they win seven games, that's a successful season. I mean, you you got to get a man a chance. And, I, I mean, I know Coach Dula personally. I think he's a good guy. And I don't think he's the greatest coach, but I think he's got to get a quarterback to execute the system because Coach Dooley is a type of coach that has to have a quarterback to run the system. He just is not a coach that say, hey, I'm just going to make it work and make it happen. He's not that guy. Actually, Willie Simmons is actually showing that he's that guy, that he can adjust when he doesn't have a superstar quarterback. So that's what the problem is, what's going on with Southern. So I think everybody, we just need to relax and see what year two is. Because they win seven games, is that a bad season for Southern? That's why I don't understand. They win seven games. That's going to be a pretty good season in year one to me. I think anybody would take that. The only now, thing, you can't lose to Grambling. To me, that's no, the no, only No, no, no. But see, they don't get the seven games. They, yeah, they lose yeah. to Grambling. They don't get the seven games. So, yeah, to your point, you, you, can't, you can't lose that Grambling game. So I, I will agree with that. That that would be because then they'd be six and five. So I agree with that. But if they get the seven games, which that means beating Grambling, then I think they're fine. To your point, I think. But see again, I think Mr. Ford makes a great point. They got problems on defense. They got problems on defense, and they're not disciplined. So he's gonna have to clean house with those guys because all those penalties they were making against FAMU is actually what FAMU have been doing the whole all season, making a bunch of penalties, just mindless penalties, undisciplined penalties. So that's just crazy. Now, I just want to make a point when you're talking about these players and drafting and things like this. We in HBC land have not had talent for the last 15, 20 years. 85% of players get drafted from the power five. It is going to take three to four years for us to get comparable talent. So I think, again, we cannot just look because of the age of Coach Prime, because this is basically year two, to think we're going to have a bunch of draft picks on all these teams. But I tell you what, and I'm, I've been saying this, in that year four, and Shadur senior, here, I am telling you, you're going to have five to ten players for HBCU's draft out of the sweat. Because I see all the talent in this freshman, sophomore, and junior class. It is a lot of talent. It is a lot of guys that you're going to see. I'm not saying first-rounders, but I'm telling you draft picks. And it takes time. So I think we just got to, you know, Playing, you know, playing in a bowl game, none of that is. And what, I, what bothers me, I'm not mad at Coach Prime and what he's saying, but we have to be realistic of what things are. No, Jack State is not going to go play in a bowl because they can't. Uh, 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 you know, an FBS bowl. They can't. They play in the celebration bowl. But if we have good talent on both sides of the ball, 
these players will get drafted. And that's what you're starting to see. You're going to see Travis Hunter matched up with wide receivers. You're going to see Shadur Sanders going against defensive linemen that are sophomores and freshmen that are coming in that are dropping down. So there's a lot of opportunity for guys to get drafted. It just, it just takes time, man. It really just takes time. So I just want to kind of just level set that. Hey, I appreciate I appreciate you, Mr. Campbell. Always love the calls. Oh, man. Appreciate it. Great show, Blue. I man, shutting down the call lines for the night, man. Um, man, brief recap for the show, man, before I get out of here. I appreciate all of y'all tuning in. Hit the like button on your way out real quick, man. Offensive Players of the Week, Lindsey Scott, Hayden Hatton, Jermaine Corbett, all had outstanding weeks. Chance Gamble, Marcus Hillman, Patrick Godbolt are our Defensive Players of the Week, man. You saw Simo absolutely get a blowout win over Tennessee State. You could check out the highlights. Pictures coming later this week. Youngstown State pulls off the big win over Illinois State, keeps their potential long-shot playoff hopes alive. Kennesaw State gets a big win over UT Martin, potentially probably the best one they've had all year. William & Mary escapes a scare from Hampton. South Dakota State and Montana State both survived their trap games on their schedule. Princeton keeps their undefeated season alive. Richmond Knocks off New Hampshire, causes more chaos in the CAA, which we've already been seeing. FAMU, a blowout win over Southern, keeps her home winning streak alive. The second longest streak in FCS. Alcorn State bounces back uh, from a three-game losing streak to knock off PV and definitely calls more chaos in the SWAC West. Central takes control of the MEAC, controls their own destiny. Delaware State brings pretty much ends any hope of any valuable season for South Carolina State. Sac State beats Weber State in the top five matchup. And Jackson State with the blowout win over Texas Southern. And then finally to end the show, the top 25 men, no changes um, really and truly other than a new number one team in the country, man. I think Sac State easily is the number one team in the country right now. Uh, so it drops South Dakota State to two, Montana State to three. Um, really no changes in my top 10 or really top 11. I got Richmond jumping up to 12. Idaho jumping Chattanooga and Mercer, who both looked a little bit average. We'll see. Well, that will work itself out this weekend. Elon, Delaware, Montana. Princeton jumps into the top 20. Same for SEMO after two impressive wins. New Hampshire drops outside the top 20. Rhode Island, Fordham, and southeastern Louisiana um, fall at the end of my top 25. Man, southeastern Louisiana has to win out to win the Southland. And I think that win over Incarnate Word is kind of keeping their resume afloat as, as they're sitting there with only just the, those handful of losses, man. But that's the ballot I've already submitted. Sac State is the number one team, in my opinion. And I know a lot of people probably not going to be happy about that. But I think based on resume, not some sort of hypothetical matchup people are are throwing out there. I think they're the number one team in the country for sure. So I'll say it again for people in the back. Grambling is going to bust. <laughs> oh, my God, man. I do agree. There's there, The bubble's going to be tight this year. I'll do my bracketology on Wednesday as usual. Um, FAMU is probably – if I don't, I don't put honorable mentions on my poll, but I do think FAMU is probably in that, like, 25 to 30 range EA and a, a win this weekend over Alabama State. Um, definitely uh, – they'll get some consideration for that 25-24 spot depending on what happens in front of them, EA. But, guys, 
hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you have not. Check out uh, the Tennessee State SEMO highlights from this past weekend. I should be at the game of Mobile, man, waiting to kind of hear back from the media contact for the event. If not, let y'all know what game I'm going to be at. Definitely going to be somewhere the last week of the season. Go into all Corn State, Jackson State, and Lorman. Listen, I started my se- my regular season in Lorman. We're ending it in Lorman. Playoff, I will let you guys know. I know I'll be at the Celebration Bowl. But other than that, I do not know where I'll be because the bracket hasn't came out. And I'll be in Frisco for the national championship. But in terms of the rounds of the playoffs, I'm going to make my judgment based on when the, when the bracket and the, the matchups are announced. So I'll let you guys know that. Be back. With the coach's corner this week, the round table, the preview will be Wednesday night. And then uh, there might be a special show on Friday, man, uh, when I'm chilling. Uh, there ain't nothing. Uh, had Jackson had 13 pin. I don't know what that means. But, man, guys, hit the subscribe button, like button. And until next time, the Blue Bloods are out. Mm-hmm.